Hello and welcome to the 10th episode of the Roden Fellows Podcast. My name is Jonathan Scott. I'm a junior broadcast journalism major at Hampton University, and I hail from Brooklyn, New York. Today I'm joined by three of my Roden Fellows, Marissa, Jayla, and Parker. Fellows, if you'll please introduce yourselves. Hi everyone, my name is Jayla Jones and I'm a senior communications major at Prairie View a and University. Hello everyone, my name is Marissa Stubbs. I am a senior broadcast journalism student at Florida A&M University. Hi everyone, my name is Parker Owens. I'm a senior communication studies major at Morehouse College. As we all know, February is Black History Month and with Valentine's Day just around the corner, I can't think of any other more relevant topics at this moment than Black love. To help us navigate that topic, our special guest for today is an HBCU grad out of North Carolina A&T, Mr. Jonathan Kirkland. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. And I love your name, by the way. <laughs> Jonathan has been described as a solutions-driven brand marketing and business growth leader with over 13 years experience spanning multiple disciplines including integrated marketing strategy, digital, mobile, television, print, and more. Jonathan, you clearly are a man of many talents. Please tell us about the work you do at BLK and how your role in that company came to be. All right, so I oversee the BLK app, and if you're not familiar, BLK is the largest dating app made for Black singles. I got into this role, I have years of experience in the online dating industry, working at various different dating apps that cater to niche audiences. So when the opportunity came up to lead BLK, it was a no-brainer. Like, I'm Black, I love Black, love Black love. It just all made sense. And um, to give a little background, BLK started um, under the Match Group. So the Match Group, they're pretty much the mastodon of the dating app industry. Uh, they have over 25 dating apps all over the globe, some of which I'm sure you know, like a Tinder, OkCupid, Hinge, Plenty of Fish, and many more. With Match, they recognized that there was a community that wasn't being served, the Black community. They also recognized that the Black experience is a unique experience and a different experience than um, mainstream America. So from that ideology and that thinking, they incubated the product internally, launched the product in August 2017. And thanks to our, you know, tight-knit team of marketers, uh, engineers, designers, it's allowed us to really scale. So in three and a half years, we're now at 4.8 million people that have downloaded and registered on the app, which is insane because it's not really until I joined that we really started doing consumer facing and really brand marketing. Prior to that, it was really paid media and ads on Instagram and Facebook, but now we're taking it to that next level to really be ingrained with the culture and build this with the community. What demographics have you, uh, if not targeted, noticed that use your app the most? So um, looking at the makeup of the people on our app, 75% um, of our users are under 35. So we definitely cater to that younger Gen Z, young millennial audience, a um, little more male schooling, 55% male, 45% female. And from a user activity standpoint, we're finding that women are swiping more, but they're liking less. So the women on our app tend to be a little picky, um, but you know, they're still open to relationships and loves and friendships. So, you know, check them out. But, um, and also if you look at the difference between men and women, we're seeing that men 
won't date down per se, but we're finding that women are more apt to date down than men are on our app, which is really interesting because what we hear in society is that it's the opposite. So that's a very interesting stat. And also looking at um, females in particular, it's the younger females, and by younger I mean under 23, they're 50% more likely to be the first one to send a message to the guy that hit them up than I hate to say older because 24 plus is definitely not older, but the 24 plus crowd, they're um, less inclined to be the first one to send that message. So it's very interesting, um, like looking at the differences between the genders and also the differences between the age groups. What do you say to skeptics that don't really trust online dating? Because of course, safety is obviously always a concern. And then there's, you know, the infamous catfish phrase and people who just don't believe in the process. So what do you say to people to kind of curb those concerns? Well, from a safety standpoint, um, we definitely have like a care team um, that takes care of anything. We kind of have like a no tolerance. So if you complain, we'll look into it and then you can get kicked off the app and banned from the app if you are um, doing inappropriate behavior on the app. And we also have like verification tools to um, make sure that your profile is verified um, and you're not catfishing. But to the skeptics, I say, especially in the times that we're in right now with um, coronavirus, dating apps are becoming more of a social networking tool than they might have been in the past. So people we're finding are going to dating apps. It might not be to find the love of their life. Some are, um, but some are just looking to have that connection because just because you're socially distant doesn't mean you want to be socially isolated. So dating apps are just another avenue for you to do that outside of the other more popular um, social networks and specific to BLK if you're looking to find somebody who you know shares that same experience with you gets the black culture you know you don't have to explain you don't have to be worried about somebody saying oh you're pretty for a black girl or oh your hair is so straight if you want to just be real like apps that cater to these niche audiences like a BLK I mean it's like a no-brainer so um, forget that skepticism and come over to the good side. <laughs> when we talked yesterday, you said that um, you noticed there's a, obviously black women are one of the most marginalized mm-hmm. aspects in society. So what is it that BLK brings to the table that other apps don't? Or how can they help assist in other ways that other apps cannot? So what's unique about BLK is that, you know, black is first. Black is the primary target, the primary demo where black 24-7, 365. When you look at mainstream apps, it's, you know, because it's Black History Month, like we're in right now, or 2020 after George Floyd, every company had everybody black in every ad that they had. So from a BLK perspective, we're authentic. We're with the community. We're building this with the community. And we even go further than just the dating app. So a lot of what we did last year as far as marketing, we really realized that we have a platform. So it wasn't about standing in solidarity with the black community because we were the ones standing. So we became a resource and a way of support for the black community. Um, Easy access to resources for mental health, um, for example. And specific to black women, um, studies have been done multiple times and it found out that on dating apps, black women are considered the least desirable. So that means they get the least amount of 
inbox messages, the least amount of replies, the least amount of swipe rights. So knowing that we celebrate the Black woman as we celebrate the entirety of Black culture. And, you know, Malcolm X said that, you know, the Black woman is the most disrespected, unprotected, neglected person in America. Um, so from that, we intentionally do things to make sure that Black women especially are represented and celebrated on the app. Um, example of that is after the verdict came out about none of the cops being charged after Breonna Taylor, we took out full page ads in the Sunday newspapers across four cities and every time zone across this country. Simple message, black women, oh no, respect black women, period. And um, with that, and we also like put that on our social media, it was the most engaging post in BLK history. So doing things like that and even going further to do surveys specifically for our black female users. Um, we found out after Breonna Taylor's announcement, only 3.5% of our black female users felt safe in America. And then two months later, after the election of Kamala Harris as VP, it changed. 79% said they felt optimistic about the future. So we really hone in and we get that data and we tailor our marketing efforts and our initiatives to make sure that we are really supporting and are in line with the community that we serve. Why do you think Black love matters? Black love matters because Black love at its core is the foundation of everything, you know? Uh, love of self, love of others, love of community, love of culture, love in the celebration of the beauty of the African diaspora. So it's really because of this Black love that, you know, leads to education, advancement, and support of our community and one another. So Black love is really the personification of Black excellence. And Black excellence is rooted in Black love. I kind of want to pivot a little bit because obviously we're living in the age of COVID. So what have you noticed change in the online dating world, world since COVID? It's weird. So COVID's been terrible for the world. And trust me, I had it back in December. So I know the struggle that COVID can bring, but I'm still alive. Thank God. COVID's been terrible for the world, but in the online dating business, it's been amazing. So <laughs> we were already seeing trends of people um, meeting more like 40% of married couples now, they've met um, from an online dating service. So we've already seen the trend constantly growing, but what COVID did, it accelerated that trend. So we looked at our data, like in the first two weeks of the stay at home orders, our daily active user activity increased by 18%. Users were swiping 39% more than they were pre-COVID. They were exchanging messages 61% more than they were pre-COVID. And even though, even now that we're here, what, 11 months into the pandemic, um, our daily active user activity is up 65%. And our regs have, our registrations have more than doubled um, since before COVID. So yeah, it's bad for the world, but for our business, it's been pretty good. What do you have upcoming next for BLK and the app for the future? Um, we just released or um, activated our new marketing initiative, which is once you go BLK, dot, dot, dot. And um, <laughs> where that really stems from is, I'm sure, you know, the age old phrase that we've all heard, once you go black, you never go back. But what that does, it one, over-sexualizes over black men, devalues black women, and disrespects the black relationship. So what we're doing is through empowering messaging, we're going to take that narrative back and change that narrative and reframe that. So it's going to be about the positive outcomes and implications of being part of the BLK community specifically, but also the black community in general. So think, you know, once you go BLK, 
our communities thrive or love blossoms or your skin becomes art. So it's about celebrating what it means to be black um, and really elevate the meaning of our brand within the community. So by taking something that was meant to be negative for us and spinning that on its head and making it positive. So super excited about that. Another question I have is what other, um, I've noticed BLK has done a number of social event activities. Could you go into, could you go into further detail about those initiatives you guys have done? Of course. So <laughs> I started April, I think 27th last year. So, you know, coming in, BLK brand, Meg Thee Stallion was big with Savage. So I had all these ideas of doing like a fun summer music video commercial, like Hot Girl Summer Reimagined. But 28 days later, George Floyd was murdered. So yeah, not the right tone. Got to read the room. So <laughs> a lot of our activations and initiatives last year really focused around community, which is one of our three pillars um, when we look from a marketing lens. So we launched a vertical called Hashtag BLK Voices. So with BLK Voices, is really a platform where our users can sound off around um, timely cultural and social issues. And the first one we did was educate and ally because me, my friends, we were getting asked a lot by our non-Black friends, what can we do in the fight for racial justice? And it's, it was good that people wanted to help, but at some point when you're constantly asked that question, the chore becomes your chore. So what we did is we wanted to create basically a playbook or a resource to give to non-Black allies on ways that they can really help in this fight. So it was a call out to our users, basically asking them, what would you tell people that want to help us? We got close to 10,000 responses. There was no incentive at all. So what we did is we used that and we got those messages out across our sister companies via social and getting that message outside the BLK ecosystem because we're the ones living it. So we don't need to be told how to help. So things like that and other community things we've done is we partnered with Official Black Wall Street last year during Black Business Month and we highlighted BLK users who were entrepreneurs um, in our Date Like a Boss <laughs> initiative to highlight BLK's most eligible entrepreneurs. And another big thing that I'm proud of that we did last year is we partnered with Civic Alliance to um, power the polls. So, you know, poll workers, most of them are over 60. It's a pandemic. So a lot of them wouldn't be working the polls. So less poll workers mean less polling stations, which means longer lines. And oftentimes this disproportionately affects communities of color. So knowing that our users, 75% of them are under 35, we charge them to take action. We encourage them to sign up as poll workers. And proud to say that we got over 1,200 BLK users from every state in the country, except Alaska and Hawaii, maybe. <laughs> but we got BLK users to actually sign up and work the polls, so taking action. So a lot of those community-based and you know advocacy-based initiatives are a key pillar in everything that we do because again as a dating app made for black people i feel like we have a we have more of a responsibility to really serve jonathan how did your hbcu background prepare you for just going into the marketing world uh, i would not trade my hbcu experience in for anything in the world going to hbcu and i'm from connecticut so Coming from the Northeast and going to North Carolina A&T, being around at that time around 12,000 other people that looked like you all there for that same common goal is nothing like it. And specifically to an HBCU, 
you're more than just a number. It becomes like a family. And that family goes not just with your students and your peers, but also with the faculty and the staff that want to see you excel, that want to see you grow. And that family bond goes even beyond graduation. Like I still am in communications with people from college. I'm still in communications with teachers and faculty from college. At an HBCU, I feel like you get pushed harder because they want to see you excel. I'll never forget, I was in a group, I was on a group project senior year and it was a good, we did a good project. And um, he gave us an F. So we petitioned to the dean of the school. We like had other teachers read the paper and they were like, it's definitely not an F, but he felt that people in the group could have done better. And I mean, I still ended with a B in the class. I felt bad because like my best friend, she had a 4.0, but because of our group, she no longer had that. But, um, you know, things like that, they really nurture you from the HBCU experience. And having those opportunities to connect with business leaders that will come to campuses, um, having those opportunities, again, of having to do more and be more, um, even like etiquette classes. So, you know, you know what knife to use, what fork to use, how to eat chicken um, properly in front of business people. The things that, you know, a lot of people, especially like general market, wouldn't even think about. The HBCUs nourish their students to make sure that they go out there, represent themselves well, represent them schools well, in an effort to just exceed and excel and progress the culture. That was like the perfect transition into our next topic. <laughs> black history always. At ESPN, we obviously recognize that Black History Month cannot be contained to the shortest month of the year. For Black History Always, we are expanding that commitment by further leaning into what the undefeated already does. We just deepen our celebration of Black history across all ESPN platforms year round. Speaking on the topic of Black History Month, what is something that your HBCUs have normally done during to celebrate the history? Yeah, so my experience when I was going to an HBCU, um, Thinking back about Black History Month, I can't recall like anything that was specifically done for Black History Month because it was Black history being learned and being made like throughout the entire school year. But um, uh, particularly the A&T, our big thing was celebrating February 1. So February 1st represents um, the day that four A&T students walked from campus um, to the Woolworth Department Store, downtown Greensboro, and sat in at the white-only lunch counter. And that was really the beginning of the sit-in movement. So at A&T, every year on February 1st, we have a big, um, you know, commemorative ceremony. And we remember these four students and we celebrate these four students and pay homage to them because because of their actions, they sparked the sit-in movement of the South and also led the way for um, desegregation in North Carolina and elsewhere. So that's one thing that sticks out about Black History Month for me. Uh, yeah, like I could also speak to uh, my experience at Morehouse. Uh, Black History Month is go going to always be celebrated because uh, like the Undefeated and our initiative this year, it's Black History always. That's the whole p purpose of the HBCU. We're celebrating our culture, our his history at all times. And throughout all the ESPN platforms, uh, the Undefeated made sure to make that mark because we're not relegated to the shortest month of the year. And I think that's a I think uh, thank you, Jonathan, for uh, pointing that out and like for emphasizing that for 
us at Morehouse, February 14th, uh, Valentine's Day. It's not just Valentine's Day. It's also our Founders Day. So it's the day we celebrate all the 150 plus years of history that Morehouse has brought, all the alumni and everything else. So we always do a big ceremony. And, uh, you know, I'm not on campus this year. And, it, you know, being away from all that history, being away for Martin Luther King Day this year, it's the first time where it really, like, hit me that, like, yo, I miss my school and I really miss being there. So, you know, we're going to try to get through this month and celebrate as much as we can online, but it's definitely tough. As the fellow that's gone to both a PWI and an HBCU, I just want to note that, like, schools celebrate Black History Month very, very differently. And I think at an HBCU, like you all said, I just want to reiterate, like, Black History Month is every day. It's not, there is no, like, a set this is the time where we're going to celebrate Black history when you're going to an HBCU. It's constant. It's everywhere around you. And I think that's one of the perks of it. Like, we're we're not contained in that box when you go to an HBCU. And like Parker said, not being on campus during this time and, you know, all year overall is very, very different. And we're missing out on a lot of the the key elements that we're used to when we're on campus all year. So I know at FAMU, well, considering that COVID is going around and everything is virtual, um, during Black History Month, we gather on the set and just kind of have like a lot of festivities. People are dressed in their, you know, their African-American wear, all the dashikis. It's really nice. And so I think like during now, especially during this time as HBCU students, it's just an important time to recognize the importance of Black History Month. And we try to incorporate those those important things on our campus. So I don't know about you guys, but FAMU is definitely doing it. I don't know about Howard, Morehouse, and Perryview, but, or NCAT either. Fellows, as we all had the opportunity to participate in Super Bowl Media Day last week, I'd like to discuss how your experiences went. It was amazing. So being in the Super Bowl Media Week is always a big thing in itself, especially, and it was especially big for me because it was my first like professional experience with, you know, that side. And um, at first I was, I'm not going to lie. I was a little confused. I was like, okay, so how should I do this? How should I, you know, how should I prepare my questions? Who should I go talk to first? It was, it was so many questions coming up at once, but I think once we got past the first day and we kind of settled in, we really seeped into who we are as journalists and, you know, we got into the groove of things, or I know I did. I had the opportunity um, to sit in to interview with Travis Kelsey, and I got to ask him a couple questions, and it was surreal, not only because he's one of my you know, favorite players. And I know we're often told by the now Hall of Famer, Bill Roden, that we're not supposed to cheer in the press box. But, you know, it's that was probably the most difficult day because I'm like, oh, this is my favorite player. I get to ask him a question. It's like, it's hard not to be a fan when you're in the journalist seat. So, you know, but we got through it and it was a great experience. And I, hopefully I get to do it again sometime. Yeah, I echo Jayla's statement, uh, sentiments. Exactly. I was able to sit in on Patrick Mahomes' interviews. Uh, trying to navigate it through a virtual space is kind of weird. Uh, a couple years ago, I was actually lucky enough, thanks to Ron Thomas and uh, Morehouse, 
of being able to go to Super Bowl Media Week in Atlanta. So I was able to talk to the Rams players. And, you know, th- there's a different level of, like, physical intimidation when you're looking face-to-face at these huge athletes. Uh, I remember Aaron Donald walking into a hallway that he was wider than somehow. You know, it, it was just a surreal experience seeing these people up close and in person. But you still do get that kind of shell shock when you're looking at them even through the computer screen and talking to them because I mean this is Patrick Mahomes this is you know the most talented quarterback best like three years run from a quarterback in NFL history and you know Tom Brady and all these other just enormous personalities and superstars so it was a really great experience to get to do this again. Parker, you are not lying, and Jayla, you as well. To be completely honest, I was absolutely a nervous wreck for my very first uh, participation <laughs> in the press conference. Uh, <laughs> I, I did get, a, get to ask Patrick Mahomes a question about Black History Month and how he felt this year compared to last. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely fumbled through the question and felt extremely embarrassed. I mean, Getting through that first one definitely did give me more confidence for the second one. And I did, I did, had the opportunity to uh, ask a question to Coach Bienemy about Black History Month also affected him and the differences that it took from getting here last year. Yeah, guys, definitely getting the opportunity to interview these players have been a great, a great, like, I feel like it's, it's it's a real moment. Like, you know, you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm in front of Patrick Mahomes right now. So definitely coming from the HBCU's perspective, you know, we interview athletes on our college teams and everything. But when you're sitting there, like you said, Jonathan, it's kind of nerve-wracking. You're like, oh, okay. But luckily on Zoom, they could not see us. So I definitely love the opportunity to just get a chance and just sit in on these interviews and just it was just fun to listen to these players and to see how they prepared for their game. And the Super Bowl is a huge game. I completely agree with Marissa. I think the effect of having them like right in front of you is what affected us the most, especially since we're not, you know, too experienced in that area. I know other journalists in there who have been writing for, you know, five, 10 years were kind of like, oh, look, there's a player. Let me get my questions together. Meanwhile, we're like, uh, they just walked in the room. Like, when's the last time you got an opportunity to sit face to face? Well, in this case, screen to face with Tom Brady, with Patrick Mahomes, with Travis Kelsey. Like this does not come often. I think, you know, in the midst of trying to suck in the moment, we might have fumbled a little bit, but that's okay. That's perfectly fine. You touched on an excellent point. One thing that I did notice was how the other more um, experienced journalists seemed so comfortable with each one of the players. Like they'd known each other on a first name basis and so on and so forth. So, I mean, eventually I believe we will get there for sure. Also, just speaking about our HBCU background and our experience, you know, interviewing these athletes, there are actually a few athletes, you know, who are playing the Super Bowl from HBCUs, such as Antonio Hamilton. I wrote a story of him. He came from SC State and just his journey to the NFL was just really inspiring. So I definitely had a great opportunity to write that story. So if you're listening, please don't hesitate to check it out. Also, shout out to Quentin Bell, who is a Prairie View A&M alumni and who's also on the Buccaneers this year. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's all the time we have for today today. Thanks for listening to the Roden Fellows podcast. This show is produced by Marissa Stubbs. Special thanks to Tarika Foster Bradsby and Christina Buswell and the entire ESPN digital audio content team. I'm Jonathan Scott and I've been your host. Get all of the HBCU 468 podcasts by subscribing to The Undefeated on the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Join us next time for another HBCU podcast and don't forget to 
make The Undefeated your go-to site for a soulful look at sports and entertainment. Have a great week, everyone. Thank you.